Grace and peace to you in Christ. As you've already heard, today is the last Sunday of the liturgical year, Christ the King Sunday. Our readings encompass the big picture of Christ as King. We hear David in his last breath prophesying about the everlasting covenant that God has made with his house and about the son who will sit on his throne. We witness the trial of Jesus where he is questioned by Pilate about his kingship. And we see the cosmic dimensions of Christ's kingship as the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the ruler over the kings of the earth in our reading from Revelation. When I am discouraged by injustice, oppression and conflict, I need to step back and see this big picture as an encouragement and a corrective. Apart from God, the human race has made a mess of things. How my heart longs for things to be set right when I see injustice every day. But listen to how David describes in today's passage from 2 Samuel what God's justice is like. One who rules over people justly, ruling in the fear of God, is like the light of morning, like the sun rising on a cloudless morning, gleaming from the rain on the grassy land. Can you see that image in your mind's eye? The early morning light streaming across a field, the water droplets glistening on every blade of grass, the clear, fresh air after a rain. There was a morning just like that a couple weeks ago. As I was running in the park along the Quinnipiac River, I was able for a moment to let go of all the problems that I had been worrying about and to take in the beauty around me and to be thankful for God's goodness to me. It felt good to be alive. We need reminders of what God is about, or we lose touch with the beauty and goodness around us, and we cease to be fully alive. It's so easy to get worn down by cares, to be distracted and discouraged. When was the last time you experienced a sense of wonder or awe? My prayer for each of you as we approach Advent and Christmas is that you will have an opportunity to step back and see the world and God's goodness afresh. Our reading from Revelation, which is certainly about the big picture of who Christ is, frames the entire book, and by extension, the mission of Christ, with this phrase, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. The bottom line is that Jesus comes to bring grace and peace. This may seem counterintuitive in Revelation, given how much of the rest of the book is filled up with dramatic images. The horsemen of the apocalypse, dragons, fires, goes on. But John makes it clear that Jesus is the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. That's what it's all about. 
Now, in order to bring grace and peace, God must heal, heal our broken world and our broken lives. And as Brett David writes in his wonderful commentary on Revelation, that healing is going to be painful. But the God defined by Jesus is fully committed to it, devoted to the point of death. The world's healing is costly. And so it is not a contradiction for the passage to announce grace and peace. And then just three verses later, to say that all the tribes on earth will wail on account of him. God's healing and our wailing are not at odds with each other. We frequently assume grace and peace to be wimpy and spineless, but God's grace causes groaning. Peace often means pain. When love in the flesh arrives, people wail. Most of us want healing with no wailing, but Revelation reminds us that it doesn't work that way. Ask anyone who has experienced deep and lasting healing in their lives, they'll tell you that grace and peace are often painful. Whether in relationships or destructive patterns or hard situations, deep healing almost always hurts like hell. And the sicker we are, the more the healing hurts. In addition to introducing Jesus as the one who comes to give us grace and peace, even at the cost of his own blood, today's passage in Revelation calls Jesus the faithful witness. That caught my attention. I don't usually think about Christ being a witness, particularly when there's so many trials in the news. But in his first letter to Timothy, Paul also refers to Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. And the gospel of John is full of references to Jesus's testimony, including in today's gospel reading. To what exactly does Jesus witness? First and foremost, Jesus tells us and shows us what God is like from firsthand experience. When we look at Jesus, we see God. John the Baptist elaborates, saying of Jesus that he testifies to what he has seen and heard. The one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. One consequence of Jesus testifying to God's righteousness is that the world's sinfulness is made obvious by contrast. As Jesus says, the world hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. Yet Jesus also says, the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. This testimony of Jesus is costly. The word for witness is the same word as the word for martyr. Jesus testifies to the truth, even at the cost of his life. In his testimony before Pilate, Jesus makes it clear that his kingdom is very different from what Pilate or anyone else for that matter would understand to be a kingdom. His kingdom is not of this world. Now to his disciples, 
the night before, he had got, elaborated that a little further, saying that he, the kingdom was, or we can imply that the kingdom is in the world, but not of the world. But at this point, it, help, it would help to consider what is meant by a kingdom. What is a kingdom, actually? We don't live in kingdoms nowadays. Dallas Willard claims that we all have our own little kingdoms, and he defines the kingdom as the range of our effective will. In short, our kingdom is where we get to call the shots. We can decide how to decorate our bedroom. We can decide what we will believe. Some of us can decide things like how a, a team of people will approach a project or how our organization will spend its money. But in this world, there is an almost universal tendency for those who are in charge to coerce or manipulate others into doing what they want. To take just one example of many that I'm sure you've heard on the news, there are practices at Amazon monitoring the slowdown of any warehouse workers, including regulating their bathroom breaks. And in many parts of the world, we see nations resorting to violence to get their ways or to enforce their laws. That's what the kingdom of the world looks like. But Jesus says that his followers will not fight to establish a worldly kingdom. He makes it clear that this is not how the kingdom of God is to operate. He unequivocally rejects a kingdom based on domination. Instead, we freely enter into Christ's kingdom by inviting him to rule in our hearts. And he rules by being a witness, a witness in our hearts to what God is saying, a witness to what is true and a witness to what is right. As he says to Pilate, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Do you hear the echo in that, in saying that of my sheep hear my voice? So even though he's not directly saying to Pilate, whether he is a king in this world or not in this world, he's leaving that ambiguous. He's leaving that up to Pilate to have to wrestle with. But if Pilate were to listen carefully, he'd hear um, this echo of my, my sheep hear my voice. And a shepherd is an image of a king. So he's clearly... Um, a king, but a king who speaks to us in ways where we recognize his voice. As we cooperate with God in his will being done in our lives, we ourselves become God's kingdom. Christ does not rule over physical territory. Rather, his kingdom is based in the spiritual territory of our hearts and is made visible to this world through our lives. As today's passage from Revelation sums this up, Christ, who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, made us to be a kingdom. One of the more important functions of the church is to be a place where we are trained to recognize Christ's witness in our hearts. 
The church home groups are a great way to practice listening to God and responding. A spiritual director can help with this as well. Or you could talk with Chuck Ellendale or myself or a number of other mature Christians in the congregation. Uh, I wish I had time to go and say more about discernment, about how do, we, how do we know when God is speaking to us? How do we recognize that voice in our hearts? I'm passionate about this because I'm passionate about the reality that God is present and available to act in our lives, to interact with us. Um, but I will make a couple comments about discernment because they come straight out of this passage. These dynamics of pressure versus invitation are really important for understanding where things are coming from. Pressure and especially coercion are red flags. It makes me wanna ask, where's that pressure coming from? If you feel pressured in a church situation, be careful. Now it's, that's tricky because sometimes it's just coming out of somebody feeling urgent about something or, that, or they've seen the truth and they wanna do something about it. There's very natural responses, but the kingdom of God does not work by coercion. On the other hand, if there's a settled peace, if things make sense, and if they're scripturally informed, if it lines up with the scripture, that's usually a good sign that the Prince of Peace is there. When I lived in Los Angeles, I had a, a friend um, who was clearly being drawn toward Christ by the Holy Spirit. So at one point, uh, he started to participate in a Bible study. But when we got to the story of Moses, he, he flew into a rage. He, uh, he was an indigenous Guatemalan and he started yelling, you know, why has God neglected my people? My people have been subjugated for 500 years. Can you see how that coercion put a barrier to the gospel? Coercion of the Spanish conquest. So he started exploring some native faith and got involved with a, a shaman and was going up the local mountains to sacrifice chickens and some other sorts of spells and witchcraft that made me kind of queasy. Uh, but he, we kept talking, he was a friend, and the spirit was active in him. And at one point he started talking in a different way. He said, you know, that guy, he, he's so controlling. He, you know, he, I'm just not comfortable with that, the way he tries to, to be in charge of everything. And eventually he decided that that was not the path he should pursue. And uh, after I left Los Angeles, he, he has become a brother in Christ. So everyone who listens, who belongs to the truth, listens to my voice. What we need to do is to make a radical commitment to the truth. I find that, that many times I, I don't seem to break through into the presence of God because sometimes it can be very painful to be face-to-face -face with the truth, to be really honest with myself. 
to be to look at in the face the truth of my inability to change a bad habit. Despair at seeing injustice, anger, not wanting to forgive others. But the more honest we can be about those things, as my friend was honest when he was talking about his anger at the conquest, that prepares the way. God can definitely deal with our, our honesty. He's the Lord of all truth. A couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to experience this, not in a way I would have wanted. I had one of those days where there were some aggravating external events and there were some aggravating internal responses and my plans were totally derailed. And eventually out of, I was so frustrated that I couldn't get anything done. So I took out a journal and I started writing to God how I felt about things yeah, with a little more honesty than usual. And this, a funny thing happened because somewhere along the line that day turned. And uh, it, it was one of those few times when I felt I was able at the end of the day to say, not my will, but yours be done. And to move forward in peace. So God's kingdom is where his choices determine what happens. He does not coerce us into being part of his kingdom but rather invites us to follow him. He leads us by speaking truth into our hearts. And as we are formed by him, we become his kingdom. Grace and peace to you all.